You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. Um, oh, I tell you what, on the spot. Oh. Seeing as it's, we hadn't done it on the spot for an absolute age, we should do it on the spot, right? <laughs> we did one last time. We did episode. one last time. You both did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, one of you choose a random story now for me, quick. Ooh. Celestial Toymaker. Oh, God, the Celestial <laughs> Toymaker. You're an absolute shower, Simon Brett. Oh, I wonder an what you're going to say then. Absolute shower. <laughs> I'll uh, tell you why I picked that in a minute. Okay, Celestial Toymaker. Um, no memories whatsoever of reading the book. It's one of those stories. It was, when I was growing up, it was kind of revered because because of the Jeremy Bentham writing in the Peter Haining book and saying what a classic it was. And then when the final episode came out on that uh, VHS set, and I just, I saw that and I just, it was the dullest thing ever. <laughs> and I just couldn't understand why I had such a reputation. And even having read the book and found out more about it and everything else, you know, I it's just a wasted opportunity. Actually, I interviewed Donald Tosh, and, you know, he's pretty scathing about it as well because he wrote a version of it that was then rewritten by Jerry Davis after Brian Hales had written the original one. And it's just, you know, it's a child of too many fathers and not one of them's particularly happy with him. Mm. Let's put it mm. that way. I've done a, over a minute just about. Mm. Yeah. I really mm. struggle with that. Brett, why, was, why on earth did you pick that story? Because um, I watched Planet of the Giants. In the week, and obviously that leads into Celestial Toymaker, and I was just, I was just taken by when you get these Mark, old. Do you want to take this or me? Go on, Jr. What's that? No, 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 Mark, you take it. No, no, I bow to your okay. grace for knowledge. Planet of Giants leads into the Dalek invasion of Earth. Simon. Oh, okay. So what? No, I watched two William Hartnells then in the week. So what leads into Celestial Toymaker? Oh, the Ark. Sorry. Yes, it does. Yes, I watched the Ark, and I was taken by. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was taken by no i was taken, taken by, by the monoids yes i was um the fact that you you get these stories where where there are patches with the missing episodes and as you say celestial toy maker is for some reason some legendary story which yeah as you say get under the under the cling film and it's there's not much to it um and then the gunfighters was reviled and look how good that is mm-hmm yeah, it's in theory Celestial Toymaker. If they did that today, who knows? But you could do something really special with it in you know modern television terms, really special. Yeah. But back then, I mean, the only evidence we've got is the fourth episode. Yeah. And the fourth episode is pretty appalling. And the other three episodes may be better. I just doubt that they really are. You know what I mean? Hmm. This. 
but it, it, I, I like the old stories where you will see right next week it's an episode and it, it's a, you know the celestial toy room. It came up and it was like, ooh, ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mm. then you didn't get to see it. No, no. Which might be a blessing. It. Never mind. Give it a couple of years. We'll be fine. Yeah. Um. Right. Moving on to the <laughs> subject. <laughs> G- given uh, the subject tonight, going back to the end of last week's episode, when we had the email from Gary Akers suggesting we do an episode looking at... Ganakas. Various things. Yeah, Ganakas. Ganakas. I don't know. Ganakas. It sounds much better, doesn't it? No, Sorry, we, he Gary. said that we should choose things that we thought hadn't been done particularly well. Not little things. They had to be big, important things, really. And then kind of go through them. And, well, he said come up with alternative suggestions, but I think we should go through them and say why they didn't work as well as they should and perhaps talk about how they came to be what they are and then perhaps come up with alternative suggestions. Mm. So I said we should come up with 10 and we came up with 12. So I should we should add a 13th in to make it a baker's dozen. And since then, I've realized there was one that Gary himself brought up that we should perhaps also include. So now we've got a baker's dozen plus one. Mm. <laughs> so what's that? So uh, candlestick maker's <clears throat> dozen? It's um, it's just a regular dozen with a pair of baker's monoids attached. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um We have. Actually, we may as well do these in groups because as it transpired... We have four items that basically make up regenerations. Hmm. We have four items that basically make up companion exits. And we have four items that to do with reinventions of uh, monsters, recurring monsters. So that's three groups of four. So I think we'll kick off with Gary's suggestion. Hmm. Do the three groups of four as groups, might as well. And then we have one more at the end that we might as well uh, get to if we have time. Well, the first thing then, the Gary suggestion was the resolution to the key to time. Hmm. Hmm. And we actually did talk about this a couple yeah. of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I think um, uh, Mark and I talked about it with Matt. Yes. No, I, I listened to that. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I mean... Um, Probably that was recorded before, but didn't go out until after Gary had suggested it. But for anybody who's not heard that podcast, um, I'm not going to say go and listen to that podcast. Uh, we might as well say what we said. Uh, Matt had said he didn't think the resolution to the key to time was much cop. But I disagreed. What about you, Mark? What did you think? It's tricky. I mean, in one way, it's quite an unsatisfying ending because it somehow makes it seem like all their it adventures all for were for nothing. Yeah. But on the other hand, how on earth do you reset everything without doing what they did? Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's a bit of a Moffat moment, isn't it? Mm, yeah, very much so. Simon, what do you think of the end of The Key to Time? Is oh. it a disappointment or...? No, not at all. Not at all. I think it makes perfect sense. And I don't think their adventures were for nothing because the whole point is that he'd been put on this quest to... Um, sent on a fool's errand and, and the whole resolution was the fact that he realised what it was all about, that it, somebody was trying to upset the balance. The yes, whole point exactly. of getting the key together was upsetting the balance. Therefore, in order to make things right, he, he redressed it. And um, 
and uh, made the, and kept the balance, yeah. maintained the balance. Yep. In fact, there was a fan sort of theory that was going around a long time ago. I don't know if people ever, I don't know if people still subscribe to this, but I did read somewhere that there was a school of thought that suggested that the character you see at the start, the White Guardian, the fellow in the Panama hat, isn't actually the White Guardian at all. It's actually the Black Guardian trying to trick the Doctor into getting the key to time together for him. Hmm. Mm. I um, think that's a retcon in a Lee style <laughs> but I, I think there's a certain amount of the memory cheating in my head because I I seem to my memory mixed the two up anyway that they were kind of the same person dressed up in different suits <laughs> so yeah, I, I, kind I of my, my young brain you made that. sense yeah. of that yeah I did watch you know I watched that whole series at the time and um, I maybe think it was people watching it and thinking that the same as you that came up with that theory in the first place. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I can see exactly why you do that, absolutely. Well, okay, put it this way. I mean, if if that ending is wrong, I can't think what you could do to make it right, if you see what I mean. I mean what would you do with the key to time? Uh, well, I was just going to say this. Uh, can any of the three of us think of an alternative way of ending the key to time season? I got one, but either of you two? Off the tops of your head? The only thing you could do is disguise it as something else. But is that mm. a resolution? It's not really, is it? it? Is it's just only the same, isn't it? It is. It's just perpetuating it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mark, any thoughts on that? The doctor could eat it. Okay, moving swiftly along. <laughs> do you know my only? Uh, if you were of a mind that. Say, for example, people making the modern series are of, you may spend a season looking for the key to time and then assemble it and then send time and space out of balance and then spend a subsequent season putting it back together. Mm. Mm. So it could be it's a bit like Stephen Moffat with his um, <clears throat> Silence Will Fall in. Series five, and then it's series six is the series that's about the silence. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Potentially, it could be a bit like that. You know, <coughs> sorry. It's, six it's... interlinked stories looking for the key to time, and then maybe six interlinked stories, you know, perhaps in different areas of time and space, seeing what the problems that you've caused are, putting them back together on a minor level, until in, ep in story six, you actually put the key to time back together and then send it back out into six fractured segments, mm, whatever. Mm. You could do an Indiana Jones <clears throat> type setup where you've got the quest for this, you know, this this uh, this object of power, mm. <clears throat> and um, which I think it's was it Raiders and the Last Crusade with that, weren't they? Where, where you, there was yeah. this prize that everyone was on the quest for, and when they They're found it, they found it. They didn't. They? Sorry, they pretty much all were, weren't Temp they? That's... I think Temple of Doom was, was it? What were they looking for in Temple of Doom? Oh, yeah, uh, it's the stones, wasn't it? Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. But they always, always find out this thing at the end isn't what they were looking for anyway. Maybe that's the thing. And it always, or, it's always the undoing of the bad guy, isn't it? Yeah, mm. or that it's too powerful. I mean, you look at the Lost Ark itself. They do open the Ark and everybody dies. Yeah. And so they have to, it's like they have to put it back in the box, don't they? They do, yeah. And that's basically what happens in the key to time. Yeah. Only yeah. three years earlier. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Lucas and Spielberg watched a lot of Doctor Who when they were kids. <laughs> they did. They did. There's no question. Yeah. Do you know what? 
you could you could say that about eighties Doctor Who, didn't you? Because that the, the, what the fans wanted all along, and the quest they wanted was to have some control over the program. And when a fan did get some control over the program, look what happened. Yeah, but look what's happening now. Hmm. I think it's a. I think it's. I think that's a case of not be careful what you wish for, but be careful what you do with what you wish for. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, you know, I'm just trying to think now, is there a way we can mark these things? On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad was the key to time resolution? And how good was our alternative, our best alternative suggestion? I don't know, should we mark these things, guys? It all sounds, sounds a bit self-congratulatory. Uh, <laughs> it's like a seesaw thing, isn't it? It's, it's, is the balance in favour... Of the original ending, or is it in favour? Or is it in favour of us? Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. point right. I was yeah, kind of exactly. trying to make. Yeah. yeah, I was kind of saying, you know, key to time, the ending of the key to time. On a scale of one, it's fine. To ten, well, it's we, absolutely awful. We could use the key to time as as the symbolism for this. In the, is it okay? How many what? segments? <laughs> how many segments good? How many segments bad? Mm. Okay, so out of a score out of six, how many? Uh, what is the percentage of the key to time resolution that is bad, Simon? One. Yeah, and Mark. Yeah, I suppose I'd have to go along with that. You can say naught as well, of course. Hmm. I would go with one though, because while it's, I don't think uh, there's a decent alternative. I also don't think that they thought through the concept brilliantly because I don't think the solution that they were coming up with was what they really intended when they set off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the, it's not perfect. The execution could have been better. There could be more more drama. I mean, Tom acted his socks off, didn't he? Yeah, There's absolutely. That, the lovely scene with him supposedly being seduced by the power. Or was he messing around? I can't remember. Was He's he me- just messing around. Messing yeah. around, yeah. Brilliant messing around, though. No, what a ridiculous performance. But there you go. <laughs> so our alternative obviously doesn't live up to that, so the key to time is allowed to stand, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay, we'll move on. We've got four companion exits, and um, in a way we're talking about each one of the four for a slightly different reason. But and I should point out to people listening that what we did was we set up a facebook thread between the four of us and just threw suggestions at each other Mm. and so that's how we came up with this list um the first one leela's exit getting married off at the end of the sixth episode to a character she hasn't spoken to you know Mm, yeah uh well we don't even need to talk about it on a scale of naught to six how bad was that six being the worst yeah um, well, because I like Leela, I'd have to say five. Yeah, mm. I'd go with that. I think I. I think so too. Yeah, I think occasionally, as a producer, and this was definitely the case with Graham Williams, you back yourself into a corner. Yeah, but what I would say is, up until the cameras are turned on, there are ways in which you can, you know, drive yourself back out of that corner. Something which he chose not to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the same actors in the same set. Let, let's look at this one this way. With the same actors in the same set and the same amount of screen time, is there another way that uh, you could have dealt with Leela leaving other than having a, you know, getting married to a ca- character that she's just started holding hands with about a minute earlier? Pretty obvious, isn't it? 
Well, but, you were going to say kill her off. No, I was going to oh, say on, she finds a place with the um, Shabobogans, with the yeah tribal Gallifreyans. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Simple. Well, yeah, absolutely. That yeah. is, you know, everybody says, "Oh, she should have been killed off." That character mm-hmm. should have been killed off. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah. You know, I don't think you should be killing companions off. In a series that is still essentially aimed at children. So, no, but you're absolutely right, Simon. That's exactly what I was going to say. It would be quite well. a fitting ending as well, because she goes from being yeah. regarded as a savage to someone who's going to pass on her knowledge to these other people who are <laughs> kind of regarded not so well. And if, yeah, and in fact, there's a kind of a circularity in that she was a savage, <clears throat> and now she's been for want of a better expression, educated, made more mm. sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And now, at the end of this, if she goes off with the Shabogans or whatever they're called, they're, it's got to be Shabogan, hasn't it? <laughs> if she goes off with the Shabogans, the Shabogans, Shenanigans. Then, then she is bringing them out of their savagery. And, of course, their savagery is a kind of regressive savagery because they are Gallifreyans who have you know, put themselves out of the citadel and deliberately regressed mm. into a kind of a savagery in the same way as her savagery was a regression having devolved or de-evolved, whatever, from when the spaceship crashed in the face of evil. Yeah. So there's a really nice circularity there. So it's almost, it, but it's seen almost it. poetic, isn't it? It's, mm. It would have been absolutely perfect. Yeah. Mm. And yet, you know... Is it even? It would have taken ten minutes to write that scene. Somebody could have been writing that on the evening, as they were recording, ready for them to just do a quick rehearse record at the end, and they chose not to. Do you think um, it's one of those where they were working so close to something you don't see the obvious? Mm. Yeah, Maybe. you're probably right. I suppose we ought to be grateful they didn't marry her off to Derek Deadman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, we better not actually score these because you're right, Simon. That does sound like self-congratulatory. But is our alternative suggestion for Leela better than the actuality? I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. No question. Yeah. Okay, so key to time, that's one for them. Leela's exit, that's one for us. We need to write a piece of fiction where she leaves Eldred and goes and lives with the tribe. <laughs> Just an alternative ending for the invasion of time. Yeah. Well, maybe that could be an issue 14 of Cygnus Alpha. You can write that one yourself, Simon. Yeah, if I had time. Okay. Right, (laughs) next up. Next up. I'm not sure this was on our list. I think I may have added this one afterwards. But it suddenly struck me. Mel's exit in Dragonfire. Yeah. That's very problematic. Mrs. Glitz. Yeah, she is like the... Do gooding, you know, <laughs> keep fitting, drink orange juicing, companion. You know, she's, um, how do I phrase this? Not more prissy than, but she's as straight laced as Barbara yeah. was way back in the 1960s, right? Mm. She's the most straight laced of Doctor Who companions. And what somebody like that does is not run off with one of the biggest space gangsters going. It shouldn't go off with a big old space-wide boy. There's, it's one of those where nobody tucked him on the shoulder and said, no, that joke isn't funny. It's all no. down to one line, isn't it? The line about, I'll keep him in his place or whatever. I can't remember what she says. Yeah, but it just doesn't work, does it? It doesn't. I'll straighten him out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, um, I mean, why did they do that? Why? They knew she was going. I tell you what, they weren't 100% sure if she was going in that story or in Delta and the Bannermen, right? Hmm. Because the deal <laughs> Simon's was... favourite. Oh, uh, well. But but that, you know that would this? have been a redeeming you know quality Simon? of that story. It really would have. <laughs> oh, I think um, Bonnie Langford's really good in Delta and the Bannermen. I think that's her best story. But that's beside the point. The uh, the point is that when they were writing season 24, they had a choice of two companions who could have stayed on in the TARDIS. Oh, I'm so glad Lee's not here because I've explained this before <laughs> and he didn't get it then. There were two stories, Delta and the Bannermen, and in Delta and the Bannermen you had Ray, right? The motorcycle riding 50s girl. And you had Dragonfire, and in Dragonfire you had Ace, which was the 16-year-old Nitro 9 girl who's been blown halfway across the galaxy. And so they auditioned both actresses and they cast them in the two stories. And it was only then that they decided which of those two actresses they were going to keep on as the companion. So essentially, those two actresses were being booked for a single story with the potential to do a whole other series the following year. And if they'd chosen Ray, then Delta and the Bannermen would have been the fourth story that year with Dragonfire, the story before it. And Mel would have been presumably left behind in 1950s Wales. And if you ask me, that makes a lot more sense yeah. because Dragon, Dragonfire is the all-studio story and um, Delta and the Bannermen is the all-location story. Season 26, of course, they switched the running order from the recording order so that Ghostlight, the all-studio story, didn't go out last. You think and about it, add, Mel is very yeah. much like a yellow coat in a Heidi High. I think she'd be perfect for that. They could leave <laughs> well, her yeah, behind at absolutely. the camp. Absolutely. I was just going to say, if they'd have done it that way around and left, I'm sure Mel, you know, at the end of that story, Mel would have said, 1950s, Doctor, I think I'll just stay here. Yeah. Because she would, wouldn't she? Mm. Simon, what do you think? Um. Try and think of something positive, I, Simon. There's very little in Doctor Who that I don't care about, but I just do not. It sounds it sounds like a cop out, but I, I I can't. But do you not think Mel would have been better left behind in 1950s Wales than she would have, you know, sailing off into the stars with wide boy glitz? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it kind of touches. That's on That's what the... I'm asking you. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's more of a natural end, yes, it is. it is. It does feel better. It touches on the same thing, I'm sure. Are we going to talk about Perry as well? Yeah, we're coming up to Perry yeah, next. Yeah, it's the but, same thing, uh, that, but we'll, we'll come to that. We have to come up with our own suggestion for Mel as well, oh. because that's um, their alternative suggestion for Mel. Yeah. So we ought to come up with an alternative. S- shave her head <clears throat> and... Um... <laughs> Turn her into a... <clears throat> it makes look, it makes sense, yeah. Becoming a yellow coat or something like that. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe she could start developing the early stages of computers or something. Because once she a computer programmer, no, 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 no. But no, 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 no. But but they they weren't able to use the Delta and Abandonment ending because they chose to keep Ace. Oh, I so see. you have to come up with an alternative ending in Dragonfire. Oh right, <clears throat> that's tricky. Mm. Well, I have one. Go on then. Shall I? Um, well, you know how Ace comes in, Dorothy, over the rainbow, mm. she's messing around with night, or oh, she's messing around with some chemicals in the uh, chemistry lab at school, and she blows herself up and finds herself 
in the future on the other side of the galaxy, literally over the rainbow. Mm. She turns herself into a wormhole and flies herself across space. Now, there's two ways you could do this. You could either do it straight or you could do it comedy, but you could reverse engineer that situation and send Mel back to Earth in the late 20th century, you know, through the same Blow wormhole. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, there's a straight yeah. way of doing it and there's a comedy way of doing it. The straight <laughs> way of doing it. The straight way of doing it is the doctor finds the wormhole and Mel says, Oh, I can use that to get home. And the oh, brilliant. Says, okay, fair yes. enough. Yeah. Or the comedy way of doing it is they go back to Ace's room to pick up her stuff and she says, as Mel is looking at something on her shelf, Oh, that's the experiment I was working on when I. Oh, oh shit, she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes well I, obviously i like that one but it makes <laughs> to find the original wormhole though um and then use it and then the doctor repairs it <clears throat> or something like that and says well this can't stay here and that resolves dorothy's thing and then dorothy ace makes the decision to c- carry on traveling to the doctor stay, yeah yeah whereas mel's gone back down through the wormhole yeah yeah brilliant. perfect brilliant much better than the real thing surely yes Oh, my God, guys. We should be writing Doctor Who, shouldn't we? Um, We should be their final filtering system. Yeah, we should. (laughs) Mark's not quite so sure. Mm. I don't think we're troubling Mr. Moffat just yet. Oh, yeah. We may not be troubling Moffat, but we're troubling Cartmel and Williams and the others, surely. Uh, Maybe Bidmead. Okay, Mark. You're going to be the uh, guy tonight, aren't you? No, I'm not. Excuse, <laughs> Mark. Infused. I've not mentioned Sayward yet. No, we're not going to get to Sayward. <laughs> uh, yeah, we probably are. Or are we? No, I'm looking at this list, and actually, I don't think we are. No. Oh, yes, we are. One yeah, thing. we are. There's one item. Yeah. Two, two items, actually. Oh, and actually, they're both coming up next. What am I looking at? I'm looking further down the list, and I can't see the wood for the trees. Oh. Okay. Oh, no, but... Is our exit for Mel better than the original? Yes. Yes. Well, well, there you go. Okay, that's two, two for, two for us and one for them. We're winning, guys. Three, thirty, fifteen. Yes. Okay, here comes Perry, and we're not talking about the way Perry leaves. We're not talking about the last scene in Mind Warp, because that was pretty shocking and it worked, right? Yeah, it was awesome. So, what are we talking about, Mister Brett? Um, the, the same thing we were just saying about with Mel, of this business of going off and becoming a barbarian queen, completely out of character. Or more specifically, Mark, what specifically are we talking about? Crappy 80s, pink day glow, heart-shaped glowing pictures of her and... Yukanos. Yukanos, yeah, that's just <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> So there's Don't get me wrong, two... I love Brian Blessed, but... Mm. Yeah, well, there's, can't t- see there's, that match two, there's two sides to this, then. Is it right or wrong that she should go off with King Iokarnas? And is it right or wrong that they should reveal that to us in the way they do? So, Mark, first of all, Perry and King Iokarnas, what, is that a yay or a nay? That's a nay. You reckon? I think Simon. so. Yeah, Simon? Definitely a nay. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I can actually see it, of strangely. It's a, it's a case of developing it. It's the same with the Leela thing. You kind of accept it if it had been developing through the story. But mm. JR, yeah, is this your Leela. way of trying to convince everyone that 
somebody who's not perhaps, you know, really superstar, gorgeous, can end up with someone like Perry. Oh, <laughs> blessed is gorgeous. Yes, of course he is. He's a big cuddly teddy bear with a tiger of a voice. <laughs> I think my point is that Perry, we have seen her being lusted after by one demented alien after another for the past sort of two years or whatever it is. And then eventually... she a nice way to date. talk about the fans. Well, no, but I'm talking about, uh, you know, after Shara's Jack, yeah, it was... Yeah. Yeah. A non-stop stream of lusting aliens, really, wasn't it? In one way or shape or form or another. But the, the I think when she goes off with Ercanos, or that we're told she's gone off with Ercanos, I can actually see that because she is quite a sort of feisty, meaty character herself. <laughs> and, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like she's found the guy to tame her and he's found the woman to tame him. Yeah, maybe. And, yeah, I just get that. I just, you know, I know they didn't really kind of foreshadow it in the story itself. And of course they didn't because they didn't write that ending in until months afterwards, let alone on the last day of recording. So, of course, it's not foreshadowed. But if you actually looked at the scenes between the pair of them, even without the foreshadowing of a romance... I think there's plenty in those scenes to show the two characters would really get along. Mm, okay. So I don't have a problem with that being the true ending to the character, if that's what it is. My problem is with the way we were told. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So is there another way we could have been told? Hmm. Given that you don't have access to the characters, because obviously the actors were under contract back then and aren't anymore and it would be a huge waste of time and money and effort getting them in just to record one scene so bearing in mind you don't have the characters is there an alternative way of getting that information across um somewhere in the plot following through history wise from that's a good suggestion yeah their children mm -hmm. cropping up yeah you could have a scene... There's a scene at the end where the Doctor's told, yeah, right? Yeah, You could have a scene at the end where the Doctor finds out for himself, couldn't you? Yeah. I think much better for the character of the Doctor to find out for himself than to be told. I we mean, could have being... it so that Mel is the child of Perry and Yukanos. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's all got a bit River Song so. now. Ginger! Actually, that could have been... <laughs> That could have been fun, actually. But they'd have completely, obviously, had to rewrite Mel. And by the time this Well, we never written, see her sort of backstory, do we? So No, but she would have had to have had a different character. <laughs> but I think Simon's right. I think, they, I think the Doctor could have found out for himself yeah. somewhere in that last episode. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the reason... I mean, Pip and Jane Baker had so much to write in that episode. Yeah. I, you can easily forgive them for just throwing that in as a, you know, a, a small comment at the end. You know, Pe Perry did get a happy ending. So I, I don't have any complaints about it, really. But given a little bit more time and a little bit more thought, I would like there to have been, like Simon says, a point in that episode where the Doctor comes across that information for himself. Mm -hmm. 
logs it and says, oh, thank goodness for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, do we uh, have a better ending for Perry than the actual ending for Perry, or do we not? We don't really do. Well, we? it's pretty much the same ending. It's just the the way it's told. No, it? I'm not talking about the ending. I'm talking about replacing the uh, love hearts thing, Mark. Yeah, well, that's pretty much anything's better. You could have just had a a caption of black and white lettering on the screen with Perry's okay or something. That would have been preferable. Yeah, or maybe a gravestone with Perry lived to the age of 80, married to King Erkanos, and the Doctor says, oh golly, is that what really happened? Mm. That kind of a thing. If Moffat had written, written it, yeah. Yeah, if Moffat had written it, that would definitely have happened. Yeah. Are we saying we win again? Well, seeing as we're the ones choosing, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I think it's a pass I think that's even Stevens yeah. because yeah, I right, think, yeah I'll give you that yeah I do think given everything that was going on that year it's not like with Leela say where they chose not to change it they just had so much going on I I'm you know I, I think we'd be being very um, what's the word can't think of the word I don't think it would be right for us to say oh, we can do better than they did given that they were under such enormous pressure to even do what they did. Mm. But, now here's the next one, and this is an interesting one. I think this may have been Lee or Simon's choice. I wasn't going to choose this one because I don't think they did necessarily a bad job of this. But, seeing as it's been brought up, it's on the table, and it's Adric. Now, it's not Earthshock. It's the opening scenes of Time Flight. It's what happened after Adric died. Simon, mm. thoughts on that? It, 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 it kind of let the air out of the balloon, the drama balloon. You know, we've got the loss of Adric. They can't actually believe it's the first time in years that a companion's died, and it kind of—I know why they did it, as far as a production value, but it kind of undermined the drama of Adric not being there anymore, and. The, and I don't know. I don't know, really. Maybe, but <clears throat> I think if it, there's any... Well, I suppose there are three things they could do. One, they could just ignore it, set the next episode months later after everybody's over Adric and not even bring him up. Two, they can do what they did. They can bring it up and the Doctor can say there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, for my money, I think they did the right thing with that. Or alternately, there's a third choice. They could say to the Doctor, we should go back and save Adric. And the Doctor says, yes, okay. Gets, you know, sets the TARDIS controls for, you know, the extinction of the dinosaurs, hoping to catch the spaceship just as it crashes into the dinosaurs. Overshoots slightly. So he goes beyond the extinction of the dinosaurs, back to when the world was just forming, and finds themselves on a rocky outcrop on an unformed planet Earth, just as Concord's coming into land. Mm. And hey, presto, you're in time flight. Bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Isn't it funny? Well, kind of makes a kind of a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But to be honest, I, I mean, either of you two uh, have anything you'd have preferred to have seen? Maybe more of um, Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton laughing. 
<laughs> no fair, Mark. No fair. Yeah, harsh yeah. but fair. I would. I'm argue. not sure. I'm not sure who who mentioned the Adric thing because I don't think. I think it was Tegan, really, wasn't it? Tegan was the one most upset by it. I yeah, think. I mean, I mean, which of the blue box crew <laughs> mentioned the Adric death? Yeah, Lee's. Being... Lee's. We'll blame Lee since he's not here, but I'm fairly sure it was you, Simon. Oh, did I? Yeah, I'm actually. I'm not. I'm not at all sure it was you. I'm just saying that because you <laughs> okay, are. Here. Yeah, you can blame me if you want, but um, I mean, let's face it. Adric's death is probably the most interesting thing the character does. Hmm. Um, I know it certainly wasn't me who brought it up because I think what they did was fine considering. Yeah. I mean, I I really enjoy Adric because I just like his stupidity. It's brilliant. Really, really funny. I, I, he is the funniest character in the whole of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, um, maybe apart from Dodo. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like I say, I watched the art this week. Oh my god! I say I watch. Yeah, um, the changing accent is fantastic. Yeah, is that her fault though? No, no, it's hard to. No, it's yeah, it's really hard to say, isn't it? Um, but you're right. Almost everything that's got Matthew Waterhouse, it's like an alchemist. He turns a dull <laughs> script into a really funny script. Yeah, that's a kind of an alchemy, isn't it? <laughs> Whenever he's on screen, it's worth watching. Yeah, he's kind of he is what the the character that Adam, I think, should have been in the new series, in that he was bumbling and stupid and greedy and would get himself into scrapes and things like that you know uh, mm, maybe there's never really been a, a character properly like that has there well i think that's because you can't can you because the doctor wouldn't keep him would they well, maybe not should we uh That'll be a jar, think... the jar jar binks of doctor who wouldn't it <laughs> it would be yeah yeah and indeed it was back in the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's a bit come harsh. on then guys let's move on, on so Georgia. final word on Adric uh, we've got to give this one to them haven't we I think so I think so yeah Yeah. so that's two each and a draw oh neck so, and neck okay right the next one I think this was you Simon actually this next one Okay. we're on to the monsters now four monster makeovers if you will yeah uh, each of one, each of which is possibly problematic, or problematic enough that we've brought it up. And again, I've not chosen four things. Or when I say I've not chosen, I want to address these four things for slightly different reasons each time. I think it'd be boring if we just did the same, the same thing all the way through. So, so the first thing I'm pretty sure you brought this up, Simon, mm. and it's the Cybus Cybermen. Yeah, yeah. Now, what is the problem with that? It was weak. And what was weak? The look or the story? The story was weak. Or the backstory? Yes, was the weak. backstory was weak. It. Why um, is the backstory weak? Because it just didn't convince me, and I didn't. But what about it didn't convince you? That's the point I'm trying to get. I'm trying to work out exactly what it is. That's I failing. Right, what didn't convince me? And we've talked about this before, and I know that you've got your opinion of um why it's supposed to work is and of course why, Lee's not here so we can't do the whole spare parts thing no we can't we can't is why on earth would the exactly the same cybermen develop on earth rather than on mondas what that's the bit that does not make sense to me i don't really un- still quite understand why it was pulled back to earth and why there had to be a different reality and why the Cybermen was suddenly appearing on Earth. 
um, in exactly the same form. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, but see what you've done now right. is you're kind of going up your own ass in a kind of a 1980s <laughs> fan kind of a way. <laughs> You know, this is the series that gave three different explanations for the uh, sinking of Atlantis. It's a case of, we need to tell this story, let's use... Okay, we've got two stories we need to tell. We need to tell a parallel Earth story, and we need to tell a Cyberman story. And the Cyberman's origin story has never been on screen, so why don't we use the Cyberman's origin story to tie together the other two stories we need to tell? And playing devil's advocate, Mondas is supposed to be Earth's twin planet, isn't it? So having a sort of alternate version of Earth isn't a million miles away. Well, yeah, it is a twin of Earth in an alternative universe. Yeah. So essentially, it's telling it's essentially telling the Mondas story in a way that people who've come to the new series who don't know about the Tenth Planet mm. and aren't likely ever to have seen the Tenth Planet won't get confused by. Hmm. I suppose so it's easier it, to relate to for a yeah a more well it's audience. it's a personal opinion but I prefer I prefer a cyber evolution in that there was a race where they were slowly replacing bits of themselves to the point where they became completely yeah I think the original backstory is more much more interesting yes but then again that kind of original they, they have done a version of that backstory for the technology of the day. Uh, you know, when Tenth Planet was written, it was about replacement limbs and heart bypass ops and, heart, you know, organ replacements and mm, that kind of mm. stuff. The modern story, of course, is about upgrading technology and it's about fast upgrading of technology. Even Neil Gaiman addressed this in Nightmare in Silver. Here's a question for you, Simon. Mm. If at the end of the Age of Steel, after the TARDIS had gone, there had been a very short extra scene in which a couple of the characters, whatever, can't tell you what would happen in the scene, but there's a twist at the end of the tale, and it turns out they weren't on Earth for those two episodes at all. They were actually on Mondas in the alternative universe. Would that have made it all right for you? I think I'd still question why. Why? <laughs> I'm just not convinced. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm right. I don't. It's just one of those, isn't it? The penny hasn't dropped for me, actually, to understand why that decision was made as to why it had to be on an alternative earth why okay then here's the question the million dollar question what's your because i can't do this because i think it's perfect yeah. when i say perfect i'm exaggerating but i think uh, there's nothing about it i'd change no apart from maybe dropping that extra scene at the end for the old school fans they would have uh you know gone flying up the walls if there'd have been a scene at the end revealing that was actually Mondas rather than Earth that would have been brilliant <laughs> but what would be your alternative suggestion just that it would it, they could have reinvented or gone back into the history of the Cybermen to 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 create what they were trying to say I think I know it's a two-parter which they've kind of gone away from more recently but one wonders how much you can cram into even two 45-minute episodes mm. in order to try and get that story across, but also you know, give you quite an exciting drama story as well. well. Plus, if you're talking about going into the classic series history of the Cybermen, you're potentially going to end up making Attack of the Cybermen again, aren't you? Ooh. <laughs> that's, okay, I mean, that's that, what I'm what, saying is where you're going with this if you're not careful why Why did they not do that with the Daleks then 
because they it, didn't need to because we've had the Daleks' origin story. We've never had the Cybermen's origin story. Okay. So what they're doing here is they're saying, right, we did the Daleks last year. Now we're doing the Cybermen. We have an opportunity to do an origin story because origin stories do work. They are very popular. It's mm. no, it's you know, no coincidence that every time the next series of Batman or Superman or whatever films comes around, Spider-Man, they always go back and do the origin again mm. because each generation needs an origin story of some kind in order to feel that their generation has been included in the ongoing story in such a way that they have a kind of a beginning. It's like the 60s is when but... Doctor Who begins. The 70s is when the Daleks, we get to see their proper beginning. And now in the noughties, we have a similar beginning for the Cybermen as well. Uh. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I'm really not convinced. I he still irked. I think it might be more to do with the fact that it was a fairly weak two, two episode story. It was fairly weak. I mean, it, Doomsday was streets ahead, it, wasn't it? Well, it certainly wasn't the best. But yeah, that's a very fair point because these two episodes were essentially a prequel for Doomsday. Mm hmm. Yeah, so yeah okay i i i don't know i just well I, i'm just uh, not convinced by any of it and i'm not saying that as a fan i i just don't it's like mark said it's far more interesting to think of their history as it stood without the need to turn it into some kind of frankenstein story where basically some blokes robotizing people well, that's basically what their history was, wasn't it? Besides, when you say their history as it stood, what history? Because, let's be honest, the explanation given for them in Tenth Planet is something that takes place entirely off-screen, that we see nothing of, mm. and is immediately forgotten about for the entire rest of the next, you know, 20 years of Doctor Who. Mm. They well, never come back to Well, for old like properly. us who read the Target books, they usually start yeah. off with a... As exactly. Little... Most of what we know about the Cybermen comes from Jerry Davis's yeah. two-page prologue in the Target books, doesn't it? Yeah, true, true. And, of course, David Banks has got his Cyberman book. Those things are not canonical. They're not screen canonical. No. Is it excellent? They're retcons. Sorry, go on, Mark. Is David Banks' book excellent? <laughs> it's <laughs> Excellent. Hang on, I've hey, got a bottle of water. Hey, here. that was I'll quite good. A bottle of water. The Skype made your excellent. voice go. The mm, Skype made your voice go funny. Then, right when you said "excellent," it was quite, quite. And today, probably because well, okay, uh, we'd better move on because otherwise, yeah. we're, I do want to get through all fourteen of these. The Cyber Cybermen. Then, well, I, I mean, we haven't come up with anything better than what they did, have we? No. No. Because we left you to it, Mr. Brett, and all you could do <laughs> is shilly-shally around and say, I want a bit more of their history. But you didn't really come up with an alternative suggestion. No, because I couldn't figure out how it would work, so maybe that's why the decision was made to rip it back to Earth. And I did wonder whether um, RTD, you know, tied it to Earth to make pe make it more relatable for people. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, that was entirely the point. In series one, they played very safe with that, and in series two, they did branch out a bit. But it wasn't really till series three that they really started pushing the envelope a bit. Mm, mm. So they were still playing safe at that point. Okay. So we're going to have to give this one to them, aren't we? 
unfortunately. Go on then. And rightly so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next one up. Okay. Cold War, the Ice Warriors. Mm. Now, I'm not talking <laughs> now. I'm not talking about what the Ice Warriors look like here, am I? I'm talking about the story. Yeah, yeah, we are. Oh, they look great. They look well, really great. Um, what, but what did we say the problem with the story was at the time? That they came out of the armor. Well, no, I'm talking about in more specific to it being a return terms. It was the single Ice Warrior. Yes. Yep. And yes, he spends a lot of time out of the armor. Yep. But it's like, you can do a story like Dalek for the Daleks because they are so iconic. But what we said was, if you're going to bring the Ice Warriors back, you need to properly see the Ice Warriors. Otherwise, otherwise there's no... um... Oh, again, I can't think of the word. I've obviously had too long a day at work. But in order to... um... Sorry, go on, Mark. It's this. There isn't quite so much threat there from one ice warrior well, yeah, stuck in the shadows. Sell it because no. you've not seen what it's capable of. The Daleks were iconic enough, and they were on the Radio Times cover, of course, that people immediately knew. And you only have to see it and the Doctor's reaction to it to know. And so Dalek works because of that. The mm. ice warriors. It's like, okay, what is this thing? basically. Mm, mm. You need to show, before you uh, can expect to be able to get away with telling that kind of a story, you need to show what it's capable of. Either of you thought of an alternative for this? Well, we should have seen more Ice Warriors (laughs) for a start, right? We we should have. I mean... well, okay, you you stick. You have a single Dalek. Well, the whole idea behind that is a single Dalek could bring down an empire. They are, they're just like one big weapon. Um, and the only way you can relate that to the Ice Warriors, I suppose, is the Ice Warrior could be like a juggernaut in in that he's unstoppable because he's so big and strong, and and he should stay. And and the idea that he becomes more dangerous once he's out of the armor is just ridiculous. And Jr., I think you said mm. at the time that it was a very much a rehash of Dalek. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to go down that route, why wouldn't you do a rehash of the Ice Warriors? Yeah, but you know that twist. would be that would yeah. I, in fact, I think you could even start on the submarine, right? Yeah. And you know the way uh, Victory of the Daleks works, where for the first fifteen minutes, Mark Gatiss is doing a remake of Power of the Daleks. Yeah. Then goes off somewhere else for half an hour. Yeah. Right, this one, on a submarine, first 15 minutes, remake of Dalek, mm-hmm. last 30 minutes, remake of the Ice Warriors. Ice Warrior, in the ice, gets thawed out, and rather than taking his uniform off and doing all this silly stuff, first thing he does is take control of the submarine, yep. pilots it to an underground cave where the rest of the Ice Warriors are frozen in ice, defrost them, last 15 minutes, army of Ice Warriors, only possible solution to the whole thing you blow the submarine up in the underground base destroying ice warriors and humans alike like maybe the doctor and two other people escape through a tunnel through the ice back up to the surface where the TARDIS is waiting its hads having removed it to a safe location how about that yeah yeah sounds sounds pretty plausible to me see what it one was... thing i will say in the defense of cold war is if it wasn't for that story, you wouldn't get one of the most hilarious action figures ever. Yeah. Oh, have you got it? No, no, no. I couldn't quite bring myself to buy it. 
You're talking about the uh, shellless ice warrior. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I, mean, yeah. I do want one. I haven't seen it. I have got the knock need proper ice warrior. Have you now? Yeah, I have. And a knock need proper Cyberman as well. Could he stop a pig in a passageway? Uh, yeah, he could stop a pig's porker in a passageway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, we'd better move on because yeah. we're taking a lot longer just, than I yeah, expected. Just very quickly, can Go I just on. say... I. I it smacks of the ice warriors aren't interesting enough. Therefore, I have to do something really odd with them. Yeah, and you know what? That's probably actually true because you know it's gone down in history now that Mark Gatiss kept saying to Stephen Moffat, "I want to bring the ice warriors back," and Stephen Moffat kept saying to him, "Feck off." And finally, he said, "Well, what if I do it in this story?" And Stephen Moffat said, "Oh, go on then." Mm. So you know, maybe that is how it went. Yeah. But you know, with just precious little more in the way of special effects and precious little more in the way of sets, because they'd only had to build half the submarine, they could have done what I'd said and pretty much got away with it. <laughs> but there you go. So, uh, Ice Warriors, us or them, they do it uh, better or did we do it better? Uh, well, in a completely unbiased way, I'd say we did it better. Yeah. Or rather, you did okay. it better. I know, it keeps turning out to be me, isn't it? And Am I the only one who actually sat and thought about this before we sat down to do this episode? <laughs> well, <laughs> well it's, maybe. It's the Judge Dredd effect, isn't it? Certain things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't take Judge Dredd out of his helmet and you shouldn't take Ice Warriors out of their helmet because, you know, it's that, that's what they are. They are mm. their armour. And, and that's probably the point he's trying to make is that he'd, he'd lost his honour, he'd lost all hope, therefore he left his armour. Yeah, but anyway... Nah, it wasn't really clear if that was true. No. Okay, we're now forgetting the one that was a draw. We're now 3-2 up. in. They think it's all over. It <laughs> is now. Okay, here comes the next one. And this is... Oh, I don't think we actually mentioned this, but I brought it up because I wanted to round out the numbers. And so, very simply, it's not to do with the story. It's just to do with the design. The new Silurians. Hmm. In fact, with two very quick ones now, both to do with the design, the new Silurians, and in a minute we'll do the Dalek paradigm. But new Silurians first, new design, any good? Better I than the like original them. design? I'd say so. Simon? Well, it allows them to act, but I, I, so I'm, I'm a fan who likes change, but if it ain't broke, broke, don't fix it. I love the way the old Silurians looked. Oh God! But they would have been awful on modern television. How long is it since you've... They don't have to be exactly the same, but they can stick to some of the nice little design traits, that's all. Same as they have with the Cybermen. Maybe, but I don't think there really are that many designs. I know they've lost the middle eye and the top of the forehead, but Mm. apart from that, there's... What else could you do? Well, they... I'm afraid I'm with Mark on this. I, I think I prefer the new ones, to oh, be really? honest. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. I like the old ones as a sort of cheesy, cruddy, 1970s, <laughs> crappy Doctor Who design that's <laughs> iconic in its awfulness, almost. I love it, but I just... To be I fair, I Better think, left in the I, past. I think they have actually stated in the story that they are another... Different. Yeah, they're another yeah, species, no. so... You know, I'm not worried in that respect. I'm not thinking, oh, why are they? I'm not going to be like a Trekkie and and complain about the old Klingons, um, you know, as to why they've suddenly changed the way they look. But um... but put it this way, I think if you had a toy shelf mm. and on that toy shelf you had a Dalek, mm. uh, I'm talking all classic series here, a Dalek, a 1960s Cyberman, a Sontaran, mm. and if you also had a Monoid. 
Yeah. Andy. Quark. Yes. The Silurians. The 1970s version of the Silurians. Would that be in with the Dalek and the Cyberman and the Sontaran? Or would that be in with the Monoid and the Quark? <laughs> be honest. I really like them. I particularly um, like the way they looked in Warriors of the Deep. I thought the redesign there was beautiful. Oh, it was awful. Uh, that's, that's but the, but you the, even now you're saying you prefer them in Warriors of the Deep rather than the way they originally were, and that's quite. Yes, but it, but it was a made... it was a progression in the design. The Sea Devils looked terrible in Warriors of the Deep. I don't understand why they suddenly went like, like a bloody samurai. Well, the Sea but... Devils are actually closer to the original Sea Devils than the Silurians are. Oh, really? No, they've got hats on. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't of... know. <sighs> of course, the string vests have yeah. survived into the new series. Yeah, that's true. Um, then there's this odd thing with the masks, isn't there? Where the, the, If they are a different species, then why are they trying to make themselves look like the old sea devils? Is that to appease the fans? Oh, the masks? Yes. Well, I don't think, I don't think the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think I see what you're getting at there. Mm. You mean why? Why have they made that mask to look a bit more like them? Yeah. To appease the, well, yeah, but why not? Okay. The masks are great, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're great. It's a shame that they weren't animatronic and that wasn't their faces. Yeah. Well, I I like the new Silurians. Okay. I wasn't sure at first, but they've grown on me a lot. Okay. I like the tongues. I think you're going to be outvoted here, Simon. I, I will think be. Mark I will and be. I are going to vote in favour of them rather than it's us, aren't we, Mark? Unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're drawing again now. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know. I think it may have been a mistake to decide to score this because it's going to make us look like a bunch of right self-congratulatory <laughs> tosspots if we win. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. It's too late now. I didn't think it through. Um, Dalek Paradigm. I'm going to say one thing. And then I'll let you two talk about it. But I do want to say this one thing before I forget it. Um, back in 1988, when the Dalek redesign for Remembrance of the Daleks came in, I had exactly the same reaction to that. The sort of white and gold, really plasticky looking Daleks as people have to the Dalek paradigm in Victory of the Daleks. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say on that subject. But that was only a sp- respray job, surely. No, 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 no. That was the first time they actually made new Daleks rather than respraying old ones. Right. And they, they had the new dreadful. lights as well, didn't they? Yeah, they had new everything. Well, they just look awful. They're just really plastic. Not as bad as uh, the Dalek Supreme or whatever he was, Davros. What, the... The Mumro in... on deodorant. I was going to say, he looks like an air freshener, yeah. Actually, I think I prefer that purely oh, because of its no. cheesy 60s-ness. <laughs> it does look like the no, old... No, I'm talking about... I'm not talking about the design. They didn't really change the design in Remembrance of the Daleks. There's there's a very slight cosmetic change to the design, but that slight change is enough to make them look really cheap and tacky. And, you know, opposite way round with Dalek Paradigm, the change to the design there looks to make super expensive, but also really not like Daleks. Yeah. Uh, but that's the point. The Dalek Paradigm, guys... Does it work or no? It's too much of a step away, I think, from the the classic design. They've tried to keep the shape, but it's just very clunky. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that bothered about I, the colours. I mean, that's not. I didn't mind there, them. Right? I really didn't mind them. I didn't have. Um, there was a lot of word on the forums and what have you that it was. It was all very cynical, saying this is an, a way to get people to buy more toys and things like that. And I just thought you wouldn't do that. 
why you, yeah. um, I quite like the idea of having the, the different um, types of Dalek as well mm. but that's really not been followed up on at all no I think that's because the design went down so badly they had to ditch the idea before they ever really got to grips mm. with the idea didn't mm. they they are huge because we saw one didn't we at the um, at the event we went to the other day they're quite you know Hmm. I really don't mind the way they look, but they do look like a different creature altogether. I like the Daleks to be small, though. Those dead planet ones are tiny, and that's part of their alien quality, the fact that they're so much smaller than you'd think they would be. Mm. Mm. They're like tanks. You know, essentially a Dalek is a tank, isn't it, for a single occupant? Yeah. But they're like tanks for really tiny single occupants. I think that's part of the genius of it. And making them really big is you know kind of has the opposite to the intended effect because it takes some of that alienness away mm. you can kind of think oh there's a bloke in that yeah whereas with the smaller ones it's not quite so yeah evident. it's not quite so obvious yeah. yeah so as an alternative if you were to redo the daleks in some way for victory of the daleks to make it clear on screen that this was a replacement for the gold daleks what might you have done Got to say, the Ironside is probably my favourite Dalek ever. So mm. I'd have them all resprayed khaki, <laughs> the little Union Jacks on them. That'd be awesome. It's got to be. Well, I think uh, it's got to be psychological rather than um, the no, visual. No, you maybe, need but... to. I know. I'm saying if you have to come up with a visual, a visual representation of it. This is Doctor Who, after all. It's a great big cartoon. Mm. Oh. You know, okay. I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have gone. I'd have reprinted the uh, Rusty Davis molds in the classic Dead Planet livery mm-hmm. of silver and blue bumps. I have to say, I love the colours. Colours of the Dalek paradigm. The oh, so you'd bolt. have had the um, Russell T. Davis molds, but in the colours of the paradigm. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, I, I like that. The, that primariness takes you so far away from the bronze, mm. that would definitely work. Yeah. I was so deflated, again, by the forums and a lot of opinions that were going about, the amount of hate that was projected towards the Dalek paradigm, because for me it was it was visually so exciting. The new TARDIS set was really 60s and loads of coppers and golds and all these gorgeous colours, and then the Daleks were coming in and all these Technicolor things, and I just thought, oh, this is amazing. This is so visually vibrant and and different from what was gone before you know and i i just love it and i i think as i keep saying we'll look back on those periods as being really quite quite something really and oh wasn't that great you know with a lot of fondness i think i've seen the reimagining of power of the daleks and they repaint um rtd daleks in the classic silver and and blue Mm. yeah and it, it works um i probably go for a slightly more industrial look and give them a, like a brush metal finish just to make them look a bit tougher. Yeah. But yeah, mm. I, I don't think there's much you can really improve on on the old style ones, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how are we going to score this? It's a tough uh, one, isn't it? Yeah. I think I, mean, I, I think the bottom line is it was a bad idea. Um, yeah. And any other idea has got to be better. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's about progression. It's not wipe. It didn't need to have the the slate wiped clean, did it? It just needed to progress. Refinement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'm gonna 
call that one a level again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I'd say it's fair because while we think they did it wrong, I don't think we came. I don't think there was anything to come up with that would particularly have been that much better that we could say we improved mm. upon it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than not to do it, really. Yeah. Okay, we better dash on. Um, we've got four regenerations. In a way, four regenerations to look at. I sounded like uh, <laughs> I sounded like David Brent then. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> I even did the head movement. Nice. Oh my god! Uh, well, we've got four. We've got four items that include a regeneration to look at. I think three of them are ones that we threw up, and one is one that I added because it suddenly struck me a few days after we'd done the original list that you know this one ought to be in amongst them. But we'll, uh, let's try and whip through the first couple because they're fairly simple. Tom Baker's regeneration, seven years of the most popular Doctor ever, a big final story where he has a grand battle with the Master and falls off a tall building. Mm. Mm. Yay or nay to that? No. Nay. I mean, on paper, you could argue that they were fighting for reality itself. Yeah, but what I mean is... You know, if that's what they're doing on paper, that's what they should be doing on screen. Yeah. Yeah. You know... That machine the master builds, that machine should have been a machine that physically on screen has a, uh, you know, we see it work. We see some, you know, he turns it on and something moves around. We needed to see that machine and its effects on screen. And we needed to see Tom having to stop that machine and the machine triggers his regeneration. You know, a crappy special effect, maybe. But if this machine is destroying the universe, we need to see some kind of a, not necessarily a ray, but a light or something physical coming out of the machine. And if Tom Baker, you know, has to wrestle that machine away from the master and in doing so gets caught in the beam and that's what triggers his regeneration, at least you've seen the fight itself triggering the regeneration rather mm. than just him falling off a tall building. Yeah. Or even keep the um, the Pharos project but have a Havoc-style sort of fight at the end where he takes a tumble rather than just kind of... Yeah, a- yeah. actually... A it's fi- just kind of hanging there and then he eventually just loses his grip, doesn't he? A physical tussle with the master where the master yeah. literally does it. The, the old um, cartoon thing of picking his fingers off one by one and the master literally <laughs> well, yeah. chucks him off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Better the cartoon thing like that than a uh, cardboard cutout of the master that we did get. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why, incidentally, why there's a cardboard cutout of the master there? No, go on, remind me. Well, to show that the the Doctor is on a strut, which is fixed, in uh, order to show that right, it's okay, tipping, yeah. they have to tilt the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in but order to disguise to the fact... Yes, so yeah. the Master has okay. to move in the shot, but remain upright. So that's why it's a cardboard cutout. I thought it was just uh, to make it look naff. Yeah, oh, God, that... I, oh. <laughs> right. Uh, Poor we, Tom. Uh, we're three two up at the moment. I think we can say we're four, th- four two up now, aren't we? Yes, mm-hmm. home and dry. Okay, right. Next one, Colin Baker's regeneration at the start of time in the Rani. Mm. Just don't show it in the first place. Yep. Okay, I don't. Okay, I'm not going to allow that because at the place the series was, it hadn't been away. It was just the next series, mm. the next season. It mm. wasn't like it had been away for six years or eight years or whatever, where you could come in fresh with a new Doctor. 
I don't think at any way in anybody's thinking to come in fresh with a new doctor without a regeneration was even, you know, something that they could even reasonably have thought about doing. I think they had to show a regeneration. Mm. But Mark, you actually brought this up at the end of the last time we spoke, didn't you? Mm. Yeah. And what was your... Well, before you completely wrote it off, <laughs> I thought the idea that they used for... I know, admittedly, it's years down the line, but uh, when Christopher Eccleston's series started, you know, starting a new season, he opens the door, looks in the mirror, checks himself out. Obviously, he's just regenerated. Jobs are good and get on with it. Rather than so you, putting your new so you guy don't in a see the regeneration, wig. but you do see that he's just regenerated. Yeah. So it's I think that works. Just regenerated, but yeah. yeah. Okay, I think that works. I think that's good. Lee's actually written to us about this one. Go on. Didn't oh, bother go to on turn in. up, but he's written to <laughs> us. Shall I read it out? Go on then. We're running short of time. We could probably just forget Lee. <laughs> 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 Lee says Colin Baker wouldn't come back to do his regeneration scene, but the production Is he team could have. He's Welsh. Oh, sorry. We okay. always do him in Welsh, don't we? Oh, that's I can't right, yeah. do a Welsh accent. I'd okay, noted. I'll go back and do it. I'll go back and do it in English. Okay. God damn it. Colin Baker wouldn't come back to do his regeneration scene, but the production team could have used the last scene from the trial, Carrot Juice, and replayed it at the beginning of Time in the Rani as a reminder. The next scene is the TARDIS getting shot out from the ground. Inside, Mel is thrown around. She hits the door mechanism and they open up. The Doctor falls out of the TARDIS in midair. A stunt guy in a wig or a little plastic figure goes flying down through space and lands on the rocks below. The TARDIS crash lands. Mel climbs out of the TARDIS with some black grease on her face, followed by a plume of smoke, looks over to where the Doctor fell, and Sylvester McCoy, still covered in time regeneration juice, stands up, dusts himself <laughs> off, and says, well, that hurt, who are you? Yeah. You could refine it a bit more by having the TARDIS land on him. <laughs> a bit like Wizard of Oz, oh, that'd be good. Uh, getting rid of the Lee, uh, I've got to be a bit madcap stuff. You could get rid of the Doctor Falls Out of the TARDIS and literally just show the carrot, see carrot juice scene and then show yeah. an exterior of the TARDIS being shot by the Rani mm -hmm. and then cut straight to the TARDIS having landed on the planet and the door opening and McCoy tumbling out. But yeah. what if Colin Baker won't let you use that piece of footage? Uh, that piece of footage owned by the BBC. Yeah, mm. yeah. We couldn't you do something a bit more convincing? Um, would be much like the bit in Turn Left, where you see that the Doctor has died, and all you see is an arm drop out of the side of the of the thing. So, again, you know, you've only got to yeah. see you've only got to see the coat to think, yeah, that's the Doctor. Um, and then you've got the surprise of it being someone different, like Lee's done with his. Yeah, well, like taking out the falling through space bit and just having the door open and McCoy falling out. Yeah, yeah. But basically, essentially, I think get rid of the interior TARDIS bit altogether. Mm, mm. And the ginger wig. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Get rid of the interior TARDIS bit altogether and just show the aftermath. Anyway, that's definitely one more for us, isn't it? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I think... That's an uh, easy one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> bit of an own goal. Like shooting fish in a barrel. To be honest, I don't know why I bothered <laughs> scoring this. Of course we were going to win this because... <laughs> it's us we've deciding things the score. That we think, we've yeah. picked things we think they did badly <laughs> and come up with better suggestions. Yeah. yeah. Well, of On course, 
Yeah, um, I think it's just okay. Let's forget scoring the rest of it. Um, this is the one I wanted to throw in. This is my googly for the evening. Okay. Yep. William Hartnell's regeneration. <sighs> and in what sense didn't that work? Well, I would. Okay, I don't want to come to this as a retcon in the way that Lee would. Okay, so heaven forbid. Uh, Right, uh, you know, later on, it becomes the standard that when the Doctor is injured to the point of death, he regenerates just before he dies, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say that, because that's not what we see. But we get to the end of the Tenth Planet, and the Doctor's a bit ill, lies on the floor in the TARDIS, and changes. And it's a bit ambiguous as to whether the ship gave him a prod and sort of helped out with that. Mm. And it's a not ambiguous. It's a bit soft that this doctor, who we've just seen defeating Cybermen and stuff, goes into the TARDIS and says, oh, well, you know, this body is a bit worn out. Time for a new one. You know, if you're going to throw that dialogue at it, you've got to show it as a more proactive choice on the Doctor's part. This body's worn out. I need to change it for a new one. Yeah. But what you've done is you've got the Doctor saying, oh, this body's worn out. And then you show the change as being something that happens to him rather than something that he does to himself. Well, he does have that line, it's far from being all over, which he kind of stares right into mm. the screen. So Yeah, because he you knows read that as him. Yeah, but that's because he knows it. what's coming, not because hmm. he's doing anything himself. I, I think, I think the and it's not an ambiguity. I think it's a softness, and it's that the whole thing kind of it just kind of doesn't sell itself. And I, and the is that weird more thing in hindsight because, though? Because now we've become <clears throat> accustomed to what regeneration should be. No, that's what I'm doing. I'm going mm. back to that one and I'm looking at that one as an individual piece of television without even thinking about what would happen mm. afterwards. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you look at that one scene, that one episode, and obviously we can't look at that episode, well, not yet anyway, uh, but I'm saying if we just look at what happens there, they don't sell it to the audience. I think, given that it's the 1960s, and given that one week later you've got loads of Patrick Troughton and people are all a bit shell-shocked what's happened, I think you get away with it. But I don't think they thought about it long and hard enough and decided what to do. I think they really fudged it because they just wanted to get it out of the way so they could move on. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> I like it because it's so strange. Hmm. And that's the same reason that I like Edge of Destruction, because it is so strange. It's... I think they could have kept it strange without being weak. Mm. Mm. So what are you saying? There isn't much build-up to it throughout the story. No, it's not that there's no build-up. I don't mind it happening without build-up. I just think that the thing itself is so fudged. Mm. It's just, you don't know... I mean, the few clips that we actually have, you don't... You know, if they're the best that we've got of what's happening, you really honestly don't know what's happening. No. Do you? Mm, mm. And I know, okay, okay, that's nice and strange. It's nice to not know what's happening. But I think it's fairly apparent that you don't know what's happening because the people who are making the program don't know what's happening, mm. rather than you don't know what's happening because they're keeping it back from you as a mystery. 
Yeah. They didn't write it in. And later on, Barry Letts does write it in and tells you what regeneration is because he didn't have anything to go from back here. Mm. So what you're saying is they might as well have just started the next episode with a different actor. And then might as well, yeah. For all that they showed us on screen, Mm. yeah, yeah. I've realised this is probably a big shock to people because that first regeneration is a legendary moment in television, but it is really badly done. Mm. And I think I I think you only need to tweak it a little bit. Yes, you either need to make it clear that the Doctor is proactive in what's happening, or you need to make it clear that the Doctor's reactive in what's happening. But you've really fudged the issue over what kind of a part he's supposed to be playing in this. And that's because, like I say, I don't think they knew. So they left it open-ended. But it's a bit like in Mind Warp. You know, there's that big argument about is the Doctor behaving badly because he's been misrepresented, because he's been brainwashed, Mm. because he's pretending. And nobody knows. And I think it's the same in Hartnell's regeneration. Nobody knows. And I think if something... and. I would say something as important as that, and you can say, are you retconning? But no, of course it was important, because they were about to introduce Patrick Troughton next week, and nothing like that ever happened before. It was massively important even then, and they should have sat down and thought about it a little bit longer, a little bit harder, made it a little bit clearer, retain the mystery by all means, but just make it clear that at least the programme makers know what's going on. (laughs) Well, do you yes. think the um, first episode of Power of the Daleks goes in, in any way to sort of make up for what might have been lacking in Tenth Planet? No, I really don't. You no. don't? I, yeah, no. so I do. I, I mean, love that first sort of ten minutes. Yeah, you can love it, but by the same token, it doesn't give you any more. Mm, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I guess what you're saying is that they had the balls to change the actor because they could have just said, well, that's that then. But they had yeah. the balls to change the actor, and they just needed a bit more balls with how they, well, were, they could they have were just got Evan Hardwick. It. In fact, if you look at the other, you know, we've spoken before about the other ways it could have happened if it had happened in an earlier story. These savages, mm. where the Doctor's personality gets put in another body, yeah. or the Celestial Toy Maker, where his personality gets disembodied altogether, and you know, when it was re-embodied, it could have come back with a different face. You know, both on both of those occasions, it would have been really clear what had happened. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I've just said this, but I'm not saying I don't like the fact that there's a mystery about it. Mm. But, you know, I just get the impression that the the reason there's a mystery there is because the people who are writing it, the people who are producing the show at that time, just didn't have a clue what to do and didn't sit down and think about what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I'm glad in some respects they did what they did because obviously it sets a precedent which which has made it the the programme that it is. Um, mm. If they had done just a, a case of his mind being swapped, I mean, would they have just carried on swapping his mind every time they needed to change actors? Well, would they had yeah. to think of a new new way of doing it every time. I'd... No, but I mean, given what happens to William Arnold in the Tenth Planet, is there a way that they could have done that that would just have made it feel more like it was a deliberate act rather than just something that happens out of necessity that they throw into the final sixty seconds of a story that? might just as easily have happened without the regeneration at the end. Mm. Because that's all it is. It's a throwaway scene at the end of a story, isn't it? It's funny because the old footage that you see of it, um, because it's it's kind of low, lo-fi and everything like that, it kind of adds to the weirdness of it, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I know it's only a little clip and you don't really get to see the whole thing, but 
I think it's pretty stunning. Yeah. Well, yeah, it looks great. I'm just saying, you know, looks aren't everything. It has to have a bit of substance, and there's absolutely yeah. no substance to it whatsoever. Mm. I, I think, you know, if we're going to come up with alternative suggestions, which is what this episode was supposed to be, I think I would just have made him either a bit more proactive or a bit more reactive, but I wouldn't have left it quite so ambiguous as to why it was happening and how it was happening so i would have, have just had a sort of caves of androzani style thing where he sacrificed himself and no 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 no, no. Or... i wouldn't have changed any of that i would have just he comes into the tardis yeah and he says this body's wearing a bit thin hmm. and then and then time for a new one or you know off the top hmm. of my head time for a new one so it becomes apparent that you know you just need to make it apparent yeah. that this is a deliberate choice not just on the character's behalf, but on the production team's behalf, mm. rather than something that they've been left without of necessity. I mean, uh, going back to the start of the episode, this episode of the Blue Box podcast, Hartnell's regeneration at the end of the 10th planet is no better done than Leela's exit at the end of the Invasion of Time, where they're just 60-second scene, get rid of her. She's not going to be in here. She's not going to be here next week. Just get rid of her. You know, and that's what they did with William Hartnell. Mm. And I know we look back at the pieces of that and say classic because we've lived with them as the legend for so long. But if you actually look at the pieces of that, it's as big a fudge as Leela at the end of the Invasion of Time. So you're saying it's half-baked, basically. It is, yeah. yeah. Half-baked fudge. Half-baked fudge. But, Just it's, kinda... but it's fudge, still fudge, even if it's half-baked. Mm. No, if it's half-baked fudge, we all like fudge. Mm. If it's half baked, it's just milk and sugar, slightly runny milk and sugar, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound that great to me. Oh, uh, okay. The big one, the one that we've said uh, we've taken so long, but the big one is the TV movie. Uh, let's go Oof. with Lee actually before we kick in, because Lee go also he says the opening of the TV movie should be scrapped and rewritten. The info dump at the beginning needs to go. No need. A mystery is what this show is all about. It is called Doctor Who for a reason. The way that RTD introduced us to the Doctor for a new crowd was perfect through the new companion's eyes. And then Lee gives a suggestion that kind of totally goes against what he's just said. But nevertheless, I'll read it out. <laughs> he says, so how about the TARDIS is in the alleyway already? Then the Chinese mafia mow down the kids. The seventh Doctor walks out and as he strolls out a few yards and is shot... It ricochets off and he ducks behind a garbage can, pulling out a bent bullet with a damaged spoon. Oh, he tries to play the spoons, but they don't work. Bother, Churchill lent me those. He is joined by Chang Lee behind the garbage as more bullets rain overhead. He stands up, being the almighty doctor, like in Battlefield. Stop! If you fight like animals, you will... And then he is shot. The cops come, the mafia split, and Chang and the doctor go to the hospital as per the episode. We don't get to see inside the TARDIS until Chang Li is introduced to it via the Master. What a shock to the audience that would have been. And to boot, the Master introduces it to the audience and not the Doctor, showing us all how important the craft is and what kind of power he is stealing from the Doctor. Oh, and take the bloody bats out of the TARDIS. That's just stupid. <laughs> right, that's Lee's suggestion. And okay, there's a bit of good in that. You don't show the inside of the TARDIS until later and you get rid of the info dump. Yeah. But I think the point is... Well, my point would be this. Having Sylvester McCoy at the start of the TV movie for any length of time before regenerating into the actor you've cast as your heartthrob leading man 
is just utterly, utterly stupid. Mm. You know, this is seven years on from time uh, from survival. There is no need to start that TV movie with Sylvester McCoy whatsoever. Mm. Mm. Do what Mark said. Have a short scene at the start where this fellow's looking at himself in the mirror and it's apparent to fans that he's just changed, whereas to new viewers, they're just seeing somebody who maybe has just been born into an adult body but no explanation, a mystery. So we know what's going on. They don't know what's going on, but they don't need to know what's going on. You don't get all the info dump and you don't get a change of leading man 15 minutes into your story. Hmm. Having said that, I mean, Sylvester McCoy is pretty good in the TV movie. He is. He is. Yeah, but, but that's, yeah. that's no criteria for having a character no. in a movie. No, it's true. Or else you make the TV movie Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. You know, you tell a story yeah. that doesn't involve it having to be a different and a new Doctor. Mm, absolutely. Because you've got the... <sighs> They try and do this thing, don't they, of um, having almost like the parallel stories with the do- the do- the Doctor and the Master both finding new bodies at the same time, don't they? I think that's how they kind of. I think one yeah, of the that major works. problems. I think that articulate so, they articulate that in a certain way, don't they? Um, I think what they do with it once they've decided to do that is good. Mm. But what I'm saying is that was the wrong decision to make in the first place. It's like the opposite of what I was saying about the 10th planet. They do a brilliant job of a bad decision rather than a bad job of a good decision. Yeah, let's face it. If you if you if you've got a pilot episode of anything, you don't you don't write a pilot like it's part of an ongoing series, do you? Mm, it's no. literally a a launch if not a relaunch, but essentially it was a launch. Uh, it was a launch for a new market. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, there, there must be some way, story-wise, that they could have brought Sylvester McCoy in maybe later in the episode, in as much as there could have been a flashback or something like that, that uh, somewhere in the story it could have been... Well, i tell you what they could have done, Simon. Yeah. You know, at the end where he runs time backwards? Yes. They could have had him run time backwards and briefly, for an instant, turned into Sylvester McCoy before becoming Paul McGann again. Yeah, yeah. As he was running time back. Mm-hmm. You know, science demonstration of it that way. Yeah. And that would have been enough to sort of canonise Paul McGann as Sylvester McCoy's replacement. Would have been enough to, um, you know, cement for classic fans that this was a continuation. Yeah. That would have done it. And for, you know, um, new viewers who don't know the backstory, don't know he changes his body... All, all that would have shown to them is, God, this guy really is really alien. Mm, mm. Could have almost done like a two doctors story, couldn't they? Well, yeah, no, no, that would have been just I as bad. Confusing, it would have been very more. confusing, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the fan of but, me trying to wedge him in there somewhere, but no. I think it's a curious thing because you've got two factors that really don't help it, in my opinion. You've got a producer who's a huge fan of the show and he's trying to get as many back references in as he can because he thinks that's going to really impress the fans. Mm. Uh, but he's also trying to make it a very appealing show to an American audience by 
trying to Americanize it, whereas I think the majority of people I know in America that love the show love it because of its very Britishness. Mm. Yeah, but that's kind of a money decision. That's to do with... If I interviewed uh, Matthew Jacobs, and he talks at great length and uh, very evocatively about that stuff, mm. and you'll find out when the interview comes out. But that's a different kind of... You know, that's a different argument for another, different debate for another time. Is it on we'll have to do www.starburstmagazine.co.uk or .com? .com? Uh, no, it's going to be in the print magazine. Oh, is it? Ah. Mm. Yeah, eventually. Um, TV movie then, on balance, bad decision. I mean, specifically to include McCoy. Yeah. I'm Mark, you sh- Sorry? Yeah. We all think it was a bad decision to include Sylvester McCoy. I love his performance, but I'm not sure it was the right idea. Mm. No, I yeah, I agree. And Simon, same with you. I it guess. is, yeah. I mean, they, they. I enjoyed it uh, yeah. as a long-time fan, but I, I kind of knew full well that it wasn't going to go any further than that when when I watched it. That's nice. I kind of like what they did with it. I just don't like what they chose to do with it. You know. Mm. Mm. Right, finally then, uh, so it's my, uh, really we should go because I've got to get up for work in not very many <laughs> minutes at all, to be honest with you. But let's, my little baker's dozen item. So let's not try to dwell on this too long, but I did want to bring this one up. And what I wanted to bring up was, because uh, somebody said tenants regeneration. And I said, what are you talking about? The regeneration was brilliant. And I think that person said, yeah, but the story was crap. And, you know, that's not really the point of this episode of the Blue Box podcast. But was there something specific in that story that was in some way a disappointment and that could have been done better? And I would point to the resurrection of Gallifrey and say yes. And the thing specifically about it is that whole episode, the whole second episode, almost for the entire episode, you've got Gallifrey at one end of the room, Earth at the other end of the room, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah. There's no physical interaction no. between the side of good and the side of evil. And that stays that way for something like 40 minutes. Now, we so, so we all think that was a silly thing to do. You know, a bad it's a, thing. Yeah, it's a shame to, I mean, to have some of Timothy Dalton's class and not have him interacting more with someone like David Tennant, I think. If they were going to bring Gallifrey back for an episode, we either needed to see the Doctor on Gallifrey or, you know, Timothy Dalton and the others stepping out of that corner of the room and, you know... Walking into a Interacting on Earth, yeah, you know. <laughs> doing something, doing something other than just standing Sorry, on the a spot. Sorry, I a hot fuzz flashback there. Do you know what? It's just, re- well, it's just reminded me uh, <laughs> of Star Trek V. The, at the ending, the end of Star no, Trek Five, that god awful film, where Spock's half brother says, uh, "Let me take away your pain to this big god being," and it's that same that they don't. Well, I tell you what, oh, it's just... I tell you what, in Doctor Who terms, it is what would have happened had at the end of Episode Four of the Invasion of Time, the Sontarans materialized, and then for the whole of Episode Five and the whole of Episode Six. That it just stood on that platform barking out orders. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it would. That, you know, what you needed was for Gallifrey to turn up for that portal to open up in that corner of the room and for everybody in that room to be sucked through and spend the rest of the episode on Gallifrey. Yeah. 
or alternatively being chased through a disused mental hospital. <laughs> you know what, though? Given today's filming techniques and the yeah, story possibilities awesome. he could have opened up, that would have been brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> they could have gone, yes, they could have been sucked into some kind of, sucked into some kind of nowhere zone that you would film in places like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, you'd make it something like The Matrix. The Doctor and the Master and whoever else is in that room, Bernard Cribbins, are sucked out into a kind of no man's land space somewhere in between Earth and Gallifrey and the occupants of the room that the Time Lords are in also and it becomes a hunt, the one for the other, through this nowhere zone for 60 minutes. Would have been brilliant. I thought, yeah, it would have been made more sense for there to be some kind of gateway between the two rather than the whole of bloody Gallifrey to suddenly turn up next to the Earth. Just it was yeah. a bit odd, really. It's just, oh, the whole thing was just very, very, very badly composed, I think. Mm. It was a bit of a mixed bag. I thought the bits with Bernard Cribbins on the spaceship were really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we're not talking about the episode. We're talking about no, that I specific... Know. Yeah. That specific decision. And then, obviously, there's the decision for David Tennant to stay for another four episodes. I mean, that's a thing in itself, isn't it? Yeah, rather than leaving at the end of uh, Journey's End. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah but that's another... That's something else we've gone into at great length elsewhere, really, isn't it? Oh, but would we have... There was that dirty, great, long goodbye thing going on and on and on at the end, which we kind of wanted, but when it when we got it, it was like, right, okay, it's time to go now. I know JR loves it. Do you? I think it's wonderful. Oh, do you? And I think the bit at the end where he sees Rose before she meets Christopher Eccleston is absolutely perfect. It is good. I like that bit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, maybe not quite so many of them and so long mm, mm. oh and of course the weird thing is i predicted he'd go back to meet rose before she meets eccleston about a year before it came on screen and got shouted down for me troubles mm. <laughs> you're the last laugh though <laughs> yeah well maybe but i don't think any of the people who i predicted it to took any notice apart from laughing at me so they wouldn't even remember it'll be interesting in the christmas episode whether because that all added to the pathos of the whole thing. In as much as the Doctor's tenth body, you know, he said earlier in the story that it's it was like it was like a death, regardless of the fact that he's he carries on. That person dies. Um, that person dies, and a new person is born with that person's memories and yes. Mm. As to whether um, Stephen Moffat treats it in the same way for the twelfth. Well, which that's it probably won't get uh, time to, will he? If it's just for the Christmas episode, it'll be. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. You know, Christmas episodes have been known to run to seventy-five minutes before. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to knock this episode on the head because you know that clock is. I'm sure the listener at home doesn't want to know about this, but my aching limbs do. I need to get to bed. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next time. Possibly, we might do an episode talking about the Daleks. Get in. Mm, Talking about, you know, design choices, story choices. You know, just a kind of general Dalek-themed episode. But I'm not going to promise that. That's just a maybe. Mm. Mm. But I I think we might well do that. We'll wait and see. Okay. Watch this space. Yeah. So, uh, I was JR. I was Mark. I was Simon. And we will speak again soon. Thank you.